Penne. Penne. Rook. Don't let anybody know I'm here. You're exhausted. Don't touch me. What has happened? I made the runner guide me here. I traveled day and night. But why? I found the place where the meteor fell. I've discovered an element a thousand times more powerful than radium. But it's done something to me. Something horrible. Horrible? Look at me. Look at me in the dark. Why? You're poisoned. Poisoned? And everyone I touch is poisoned. They die. Die? Yes. I know. Let's get back into the light. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 100, no, 221. Yeah. Almost almost fucked up bad time there. Uh, no, it's um, fine. Almost went back like two years at, at, at this point. <laughs> uh, Probably but, more than that, really. But you know, pr- Maybe, yeah, yeah, depending on our schedules. But uh, I'm Lee, a madman whose body is an engine of destruction, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. A theory whispered in the cloisters of science. Harper, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. I was uh, just uh, looking at the history of uh, radiation and uh, uh, various uh, atomic theories of matter. And when Mm -hmm. they were discovered uh, vis-a-vis 1936, (laughs) I don't know that any of that is going to come into this podcast. But, like, I was was curious watching Mm -hmm. this movie. And it took me much longer than the hour and ten minutes that this movie ran to watch this movie um, for that and other reasons. So I, I, I fell into a little rabbit hole of you know mm-hmm. of uh, science history. Anyway, yeah, this this movie certainly brings up some like scientific theories, quote unquote. That uh... right, <laughs> nineteen thirty six was a was a real was a real hell of an era. You know, like the atom was first split by Enrico Fermi in 1933, for mm. instance. Um, so, you know. A lot of stuff to get to, but uh, we are going to be talking about The Invisible Ray, which is a Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi film, and by request of our friend Gary Hill from uh, Cinema Beef, I need to play this clip before we get into anything else. Mr. Lugosi, I, I know you're very busy, but... Um... I have your autograph. Certainly. You know which movie of yours I love, Mr. Lugosi? 
the invisible ray. You were great as Karloff's sidekick. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sidekick? Fuck you! <laughs> Karloff does not deserve to smell my shit! That lame cocksucker can rot in hell for all I care! What happened? How dare that asshole bring up Karloff? You think it takes talent to play Frankenstein? It's all on makeup and then grunting. Bella, I agree 100%. Now, Dracula, that's a role that requires talent. Of course. Dracula requires presence. It, it's all in the eyes and the voice and the hand. That's right. That's right. You seem a little agitated. You want to go outside and get some air? Bullshit. I'm ready now. Roll the camera. <laughs> 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 so good so fucking yeah. good we need That's to do amazing. that movie at some point but, sure yeah, no, yeah definitely yeah but yeah we we got a couple comments here we'll get to really quick it's from the youtube side of things and they're both good so uh you know sure yeah well you know good good is a relative thing so. ah not in this case though it, it's one of our regular commenters uh shadow man 4710 uh he has a comment on our thin man episode he yep. says, uh, one of my favorite movies from the ni- from the 1930s. I absolutely love every single frame of this film from start to finish. I know you guys covered some of this in the review, but I thought it was a sheer brilliance to start with the victim of the story and then stay with him for 15 to 20 minutes, pretty much showing the audience his character and relationships. Then introducing the main characters as a couple of seemingly aimless drunks it's just amazing storytelling that you don't ever see anymore. And yeah, that's kind of true, actually. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you really don't do that. Well, it's uh, kind of TV. It's kind of TV, right? Like where you see mm-hmm. like the it, like the beginning of the TV show is like the villain doing his thing. And then like Lenny Briscoe shows up and it's like, I'm going to go <laughs> kick some ass or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, 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 you know, like it just, it became it became like kind of like standard cinematic uh, language for a while and then just kind of transitioned into TV. And then once it became TV, um, the movies are like, no, we can't be like shitty TV. And then they can't <laughs> do that anymore. So, you know, like, yeah. And now it's kind of almost reversed at this point where like TV is so prominent that movies want to ape TV now. But yeah. Right. Well, you know, assuming there are still movie theaters when movie theaters yeah. are to reopen again, you know, like uh, we are recording this in the uh, midst of the coronavirus, like the height. Like, it's funny, like coronavirus, like the numbers are like much higher than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And like literally no one is no one is really talking about that. Like there, yeah. there's no there's no real conversation around like, hey, maybe we should be doing something about this. It's like, no, just open up. Just open up. It's fine. Like, we're all just going to die of coronavirus. It's gonna yeah, be no, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, in the U.S., you've got all the, uh, like, you know, southern states and stuff like that, like, spiking. And, oh, lo and behold, Canada, where, you know, on the eastern side of Canada, the better half, quote, unquote, um, <laughs> we've got this shit pretty much locked down for the most part. Although, you know, in Ontario, there's been some spikes. But in the west coast, like the western provinces, jumped. Just fucking jumped. The, the Western provinces, I think, are are more Americanized. Is that that's my? They, they are the Canadian yeah, Texas, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Alberta is the Alabama of Canada. Is kind of yeah, 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 pretty much. And then pretty like much. British Columbia is like kind of like the like the American West Coast just extended mm-hmm. slightly northward. Yeah, northward. And then like the Maritime provinces 
you just kind of go off and do your own thing. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I've learned. We, we kind of keep yeah. outsiders out. Like, oh, everyone yeah, else yeah. has a disease? Let's close the borders. That's well, what we yeah, do. We're the maritime provinces. No one wants to visit us anyway. No. So just stay out. Yeah, just know? get, get yeah. the fuck out of here, yeah. bitch. That's and then Quebec, is. Quebec, it's just fucking Quebec. Yeah, like, it's, it's they're not it's, even part of Canada anyway. No, they're like, Canadian you know, France. Like, yeah, it's they're, they're, it's France. Just move it over to France. <laughs> much happier to be part of France, you know. And so then the Saskatchewan. Who wants to go to Saskatchewan? Nobody. Who, who wants to go to uh, uh, Manitoba anyway? Nobody. You know? Nobody. So, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Fucking nobody, man. That's, that's and then and this geography lesson was brought to you by. They must be destroyed on site. Yeah, this is me remembering Canadian provinces, mm. which I did far better than almost any American would do it. Remembering Canadian provinces. Hey, you've, and you've, I am, and I am quite, I am quite inebriated. So mm-hmm. yeah. you actually probably did better than like five out of ten Canadians at this point. So right, right. Um, mm. I even know that the uh, Northwest Territories exist, and uh, mm-hmm. that they're. I don't remember the name of the uh, the place that was carved out of the Northwest Territories. Nunavut. Nunavut. Yeah. I can't. I couldn't pronounce it, but I knew it existed, and so mm-hmm. you should give me a point for that. So you know. I applaud you, sir. You are an ambassador <laughs> of America to Canada. At this yeah, point, to like Canada. That. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I have a role in the Biden administration too. Maybe, uh, perhaps. <laughs> yes. You know. Ambassador to Canada. I'm gonna go spend all my time in Winnipeg. <laughs> you don't want to be in Winnipeg at winter. Let's just put it that way. But yeah, well, uh, I live in Michigan, so you know. <laughs> Winnipeg's way worse, honestly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, a joke from the office, by the way. So you know. Okay, uh, but anyway, continuing, Shadowman says, "Yeah, the final scene with the dinner where the suspects are lined up and the culprit is revealed has become cliche, but I'm fairly sure this is the first film to do it." I also love William Powell and uh, Myrna Loy together in this. The chemistry between them is absolutely amazing. And it's pretty easy to see how they were both able to pull off five sequels based on that chemistry, even though the last films probably should have not been made. Really great analysis, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah, that. Thank you. Know. Sorry we interrupted to uh, talk about Canadian <laughs> geography for uh, 10 minutes, but... That's what yes. you come to. That's what that's what you come here for, you know. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what you get at a TMB DOS. You get yeah. shit that you would not expect and would not would not want to listen to, but you still yeah. do cuz you're still here. You're, you're addicted. Um he also commented on our Bride of Frankenstein uh episode. Sure. It says this is one of those films that used to show that sometimes the sequel can be greater than the original. It's been a number of years since I watched it, but I clearly remember showing it to my nephew a few decades ago when he wasn't more than eight or nine. Scared the hell out of him. It's just a deliciously creepy film that's managed to age very well over the last 85 years. For me, it's easily the best of the Universal uh, Frankenstein movies and even surpasses the Hammer classic Curse of Frankenstein, 1957. For me, it's a perfectly perfect horror film despite its age nearly perfect horror film despite its age okay yeah and um i'd agree with that i don't know if i'd say it's better than curse of frankenstein but that's you know that's kind of a personal preference kind of debate i think 
And I mean, that's one we should do on the podcast at some point. Just yeah, I haven't, out. I haven't seen it, so uh, I can't mm. comment. Like I, the only, the only um, real quibble I would have, and this isn't, uh, this isn't really even like a criticism of the comment, is just that mm. I don't even really see Bride of Frankenstein as a horror film in some ways. You know, like it's yeah. so, it's so arch, it's so like uh, satirical, it's so like commenting on the genre that it, like, it doesn't have that kind of horrific element to me so i like, think i think yeah. we don't have to really get too deep into that but i think that there is a like question about that like it's a like, question mark in like red ink that we can kind of come back to later at some point. i i think yeah. well i mean when we covered it we pretty much said yeah it's not really a horror film it's it's more you know th- there's a lot of comedy in it and there's there's a lot of stuff <laughs> going on but i mean I think he's basically saying is that it's it's really a horror film for his nephew who was eight years old right. or whatever at the time, right? Like it, it works on that level, like sure, yeah. And I mean, if I watched it at eight, I'd probably consider it a horror film. I I I might be you know frightened by it, legit, like you know, because you did you, you you don't have the sophistication that you would have at like say twenty that you would have at eight years old when it comes to like thinking about films in that sort of regard. Right. It's funny how much I like hated horror films when I was a kid, because like, I didn't like that feeling. I didn't mm-hmm. like seeing that stuff. And like, it took me a, a number of years to kind of come and appreciate them as kind of the artistry and, you know, that sort of thing. And I kind of yeah. love them now, but I'll never love them in the way that like people who like embrace them when they were eight years old will embrace them. And it's just that's part of the difference between you and me, ultimately. Mm, you know, yeah. and like it's fine. I mean, you know. Like, I mean, I I really I really like that. That that's what makes this podcast so enjoyable that we have yeah. the, like the two different perspectives for that. Right, so, right. You know. Yeah. Like I, I, I like to appreciate horror films as like, oh yes, I can appreciate that this is like, you know, frightening in the ways that like mm-hmm. but like when like I, I don't know, yeah. But no, I mean, sorry, complicated feelings. We don't. Yeah, we should move on. But yeah, know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, you know, like your your perspective makes me think about horror films on a different level, and I appreciate right. that as well. So, I mean, I think that's what makes this podcast works. I mean, so, what's well, your what's your what's your like like? Sorry to ask you this on a uh, like random thing. Like, what's your all time favorite horror film? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind then of, why is it Dawn of the Dead? <laughs> sorry, it's, sorry. No, it's, it's actually not Dawn of the Dead. It was at some point, but, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a toss up at this point between John Carpenter's The Thing sure. and, uh, Philip Kaufman's 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Which I still have not seen. We should well, do that. Yes, next year for we sure. Sh- yeah, we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, because I know it's brilliant. I've put it. I've literally put it off so that I can do it at some point with you. So both you know, both so. both of those movies tap into probably the fundamental thing that scares me the most is the loss of identity. Uh, yeah, like just the loss of humanity. Like the the body snatchers they replace you with a clone of yourself that has no feelings, no interpersonal relationships, like no real identity. They're, they're just a thing. And the thing does the same thing, but it, you know, it, it envelops you, takes you over and just continues along, 
you know, like both of those things, both of those things just fucking, they fuck with me on a fundamental level that I, it, every time I watch those films, they scare me. Like they, they still scare me from, from a child to now. I, I, I don't like watching those films actually. Like honestly, like, I, I've, I've watched both of them multiple times, but I'm really hesitant to watch them. Whenever I like, I, I actually have to like psych myself up to say, I want to watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers, nineteen seventy eight. I have to actually psych my out, psych myself up for it. Yeah, what's interesting is with my uh, like kind of extracurricular activities that I do outside of this podcast, mm-hmm. which like our audience will know. Like I follow Nazis. Is like yeah. uh, <laughs> when I run across material that disturbs me, I like expose myself to it. Mm-hmm. like multiple times as a way of like uh uh defending myself from it like emotionally mm-hmm. um so that I can so that they so that they can't bother me so that I can approach it like as a in an analytical way and so yeah. it's an interesting kind of thing like um it's funny that like the crazies is like uh Romero's the crazies mm-hmm. from 1973 it's kind of the, like the movie that kind of strikes me as like the best horror movie I've ever seen. I feel like that's, that's a, uh, that's you know, a, that's a, like that's up there for me. That's a scary right. fucking movie. Like because it is like this, um, because it fits into this like uh, socio political reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, like it's not about like there's a thing that's happening. It's about there's a thing that's happening, and then like the superstructure of society is completely unprepared to deal with it, except for like you know carpet bombing. And even that it's, is not actually going to deal it's, with it's, the thing. Yeah. And so it like, fits into that like reality in a way for me. And for all the problems that I would have with that movie and its execution, like the idea like fits into like a very real sense for me. You know, the so. uh, the in place structures that are supposed to protect us fail and then they basically try to protect themselves. And right. that's like the deep horror of that. Like right. and they even fail at that pretty much. And right, right. It's, yeah. It, and that's it, a, and that's the thing for Romero. That's why I feel like like the kind of like sociopolitical version of uh horror like is so effective, at least mm-hmm. for me, you know. Um and that's no, so, I I totally agree. I totally yeah, agree. So yeah. So yeah. Sorry to get us off on that. Like no, I, I like it. I like it. It's good. It's good shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we can move on now to what we've watched in the last while, and I know you have at least something to mention, so uh, I'll start you off. Sure. Here. Yeah, so uh, I know that uh, you and I have both been watching The Mandalorian mm-hmm. Season 2, so uh, I'll save that momentarily, but I did rewatch uh The Quiz Show. Not The Quiz Show, Quiz Show, from 1994. Mm-hmm. With Ray Fiennes and uh, John Turturro and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which one of the things that I've realized is uh, like there was this era of uh, kind of Oscar week movies in kind of the early to mid 90s that kind of yeah. became like really uh, influential on me in a way of like, you know, I watched this movie and it kind of blew my mind and like it aired on like TV in 1995 or whatever, yeah. you know. And it really kind of showed me like what a real movie could be, you know. And rewatching it, I really enjoy it still. On its, you know, like on its own uh, terms, mm-hmm. but I have like <laughs> deep questions about like you know. So you made like 
you know, uh, the Van Doren family who are like one of the wealthiest families in America. Like they are the like downtrodden. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, fucked up. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a great movie. It's a great movie, you know, and like it, it has a lot of th- great things to say about like what media culture is, but mm-hmm. it's blind spots are only more obvious 20 years uh you know down 25 years down the line and um i would recommend that i think that people should watch quiz show i think it's a movie that that has been um forgotten to a large degree um and it's a movie that was a huge like that movie it's weird that that movie was like really important to me in terms of my understanding of like how to understand cinema but it was really important to me and rewatching it only kind of in like taught me that again like that that was really important to me but not it's hard to like articulate the degree to which like you know like certain elements of that like it was kind of like one of the early oscar bait movies that i saw like at the like when i was old enough to sort of like process it as Mm -hmm. like a movie movie right right Um, like one day one day i hope that we do do some of those movies Mm -hmm. um i think a few good men would be kind of like the er example of that for me and it's like <laughs> yeah. I saw that early enough. I saw that early enough when I when I was young enough that that was kind of like the like greatest movie I had ever seen mm-hmm. when I was like thirteen years old. Yeah, and, I, I know, get that. Yeah. yeah, and and you're right. Like Quiz Show really isn't talked about. Like honestly, in the last like ten years or so, I think the only times I've heard about Quiz Show. It's like the two times you've mentioned it on this podcast. Right, right, like, right, right. You know, but I'm the only person who remembers Quiz Show, and yet it was this huge, like, Oscar bait movie in the mid '90s. And but that's also kind of the thing of like a lot of the movies of that era. Like, if you go back and look, like, just get back five years. Whenever you're listening to this, so if you're listening to this in 2035, go back and look at the Oscar movies from 2030. And take out all the winners and just go look at like what were the nominated films and like mm-hmm. best actor and best actress and uh et cetera, et cetera, go down the line and how many of those movies are still being talked about. And that's a like that's an interesting thing that kind of happens is that these yeah. movies that um kind of are designed to be uh, award bait movies also tend to be kind of um forgettable. Like, and not that they're not well made, not that they're not like, mm-hmm. you know, but they're just kind of movies in the sense that movies they get are movies. A, they, they, get yeah, a, you know. they get a stigma on them, right? Like after right, you right. get after the Oscar season, everyone right. goes, okay, well, yeah. If you, if, you, if you win, you're a winner, right? Like if it had won Best Picture, yeah. everybody would know Quiz Show, right? You know, but like Forrest Gump was the big thing that year or like whatever. I forget exactly what year it was. Yeah, but but, you know, but like, even you know. then, some some of those movies in the nineties, especially like even if they won the Oscar, some of them kind of get just thrown to the wayside a yeah. little bit because they were Oscar bait. And I mean, th- I'm sure there's like a good podcast that we could dig into just talking about like the evolution of the Oscars in the last like 20 or 30 years. Well, we could start from 1927. Uh, yeah, we could, we could do that as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and do all the Oscar winners, the, the best picture winners, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, it would be a thing we could do, but um, you know, we have uh, other, we have other things to do. On yeah, this podcast, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, anything else. 
<laughs> anything else get drunk and talk about movies yeah uh so yeah uh do you really want to sit and talk for an hour about the english patient I really, I, don't. Don't. I really don't i really fucking don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> No, let's not talk about chariots of fire for an hour. Do you no, let's let's not do that at all. Let's let's never yeah. do that. <laughs> well, and ultimately, the Oscars are about like kind of like showing, um, you know, it's actors showing other actors how good yeah. they are. It's direct, you know, like it's 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 like the like the big corporate award. It is, like yeah, the, yeah. Like you work for a big company and then you show up and it's like, oh yeah, and then our great the salesman of the year gets this award. That's what the Oscars are, and they make movies that are designed to get the awards so that they can get the clout, mm-hmm. so that you know maybe it feeds into the the Oscars are the line, like you know. eighty eighty percent a commercial enterprise that's mixed with like twenty percent actual regard for personal achievement by actors and, you know, movie professionals that, you know, excel in their profession or whatever, you know, like it's, it's, I feel, I feel like the way to do it is um, the ones that really matter are the best supporting actor and best supporting actress, because that's where like, you're finding like super talented person, second tier Mm -hmm. in a film. Like those are the movies that are actually interesting in any given year. So like if you were going to do, a podcast about like uh, the Oscar winning movies. That's the way to do it. And I mean, we, I mean, I think this podcast pretty much gravitates towards like the secondary actors and actresses for the most part. So, I mean, I mean, that's pretty on point. Yeah. We, we, we definitely try to. So um, we try to go deep. We try to find like the interesting stuff that isn't, you know, like right there on the, on the surface. So yeah. 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 Uh, Mandalorian. Mandalorian. We didn't even talk about Quiz Show because you know we we went off on there. You mm-hmm. know uh, it's it's a good movie. Go check it out. Yeah, it a is a good movie. Yeah, Mandalorian. Also very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Mandalorian. Uh, I'm gonna piss off some nerds here, but I'm a I'm king of the nerds, uh, <laughs> so it's fine. You know. So so bow down, subjects. Daniel's gonna talk. I mean, I'm just gonna say, I have a I have a degree in chemistry with modern and math. Uh, <laughs> I do a podcast about movies uh, that I've been mm-hmm. doing for five years, and uh, Nazis want me dead. So, um, you know, King of the Nerds, congratulations. <laughs> you know, I run Linux. I'm running Debian on my laptop right now. <laughs> so, like, you know, like it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. King of the nerds, yeah. like nerds, come at me. It, you, you don't scare me, believe me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna say, uh, The Mandalorian, uh, season one, season two, or three episodes in a season two, uh, kind of the greatest Star Wars property. In, so in a very real way, you know, like I, you know, I love it so much. Yeah. Um, I don't love every episode. I, you know, I, you know, there are things that you can complain about, um, but like it works so fucking well in terms of like really just like selling a, like it's doing a story. It's it's telling the long form narrative, but at the same time, kind of doing the you know episode by episode guide, and there, every episode works on its own on its own on its own accord. They're really know? recreating like all the classic 
like like oh so so the first season is very much like samurai movie like lone wolf yeah. and cub and then yeah. like Ujimbo and shit like that but the second season so far three episodes in it seems like they're determined to like hey we really like these 1980s sci-fi movies we're going to mm-hmm. recreate them all cuz they basically did like dune and alien and, right. and the first two movies and the first two episodes a uh, third episode i wouldn't necessarily say they ripped off anything too much but it's still really good yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I it's mean, very brief the third episode's like half an hour and it's very brief but it's really good yeah i mean they're doing they're doing some interesting stuff and uh you know it is it is like this kind of like mr mom in space element like <laughs> yeah <laughs> which all the advertising ahead of time made it look like a really shitty show, right? Mm. It's like we're gonna show you the bounty hunter going off and doing adventures and like going, yeah. going off and doing the thing. And then once you saw the first episode, it's like, and now we got the child, aka, AKA Baby Yoda, and now it's gonna be like a dad. He's he's becoming a story mm-hmm. father, and that's so much more interesting than anything that this was advertised as, right? And also, Baby Yoda is completely adorable, and my wife is constantly sending me links to Baby Yoda things that she wants, and um, mostly I buy them. We have a big stack of Baby Yoda merchandise. Okay, but 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 how about Baby Yoda being a really creepy fuck? Wanting to eat all those fucking baby frog eggs, like <laughs> baby Yoda eating sentient uh, sentient eggs is uh, it's a problem. Try to try to basically yeah. wipe out a species because baby Yoda's baby Yoda's hungry. Baby Yoda's hungry, <laughs> and really, really, here's where here's where you land on this. You gotta blame Dad for the, you gotta blame the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really well, lets baby Yoda just like. Well, Get a lot of opportunities him. to eat those frog eggs. You, you gotta blame him for like, hey, maybe you should be feeding your son a little <laughs> bit more <laughs> so that he doesn't like actually try to eat yeah. the yeah, eggs we, of the species that's gonna die. We, you know? we get we we get it, Mandalorian. You do, you don't eat a lot, but Baby Yoda might want to eat, so you should maybe, probably maybe, like. Yeah. <laughs> Trump should give the opportunity to like molest the egg canister and like you know get really into like i need to eat these fucking eggs i mean baby yoda's so fucking hungry that it eats a spider egg at one point and (laughs) it's like okay yeah which is gross as fuck and that that's also an alien ripoff at that point like that that episode i mean i get i get that like my dog but like i have a chewini in my house and my dog just wants to eat constantly. Like it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter if she's hungry or not. If you give her something to eat, she wants to eat it. You know, like and if she sees something that looks delicious, if there was like a big canister of like eggs floating in brine, <laughs> she would she would want them. Like it's no it's what it fucking looks like. It looks no, like a fucking big jar of yeah. like pickled eggs in a bar, yeah. right? Like yeah. There's no there's no there's no difference there Mm-mm. in terms of that. Um but uh, you know, the idea is like you just give the dog enough something to like distract themselves so they don't eat the eggs in the brine. You know. Like, but if uh, you notice in the third episode, you look at that fucking jar of eggs, mm-hmm. 
doesn't look any different than the jar of eggs from the previous episode. So it's like, right, right. you know, it's like, yeah, baby Yoda ate some, but it seems like it got replaced somehow. Like, you know, like 10 of those <laughs> eggs just magically came back, whatever. It's fine. We, we yeah. can't make, we can't make baby Yoda a monster. We just, ha- we just have to creep Yoda a little bit. That's, that's what the, the show does. It, it does. I agree. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's fine. Everything is fine. Yeah. Um, I'll just mention a couple things here. Uh, so I watched a slasher movie from Poland, uh, from 2020 called nobody sleeps in the woods tonight. And it's kind of a mix of wrong turn and, uh, in a, in a certain way, kind of just before dawn, I mean, I'll just throw it out here. Spoilers. There there's like twin monster killers in this movie. Um, it's fine. It, it's like a really well-made, well-produced slasher movie. Fits all the tropes. A little bit tired. Like, it, it's like, okay, I've seen this before, but it's really well done the way they do it. They kind of recreate a couple of uh, kills from the Friday the 13th series. Um, and I think one of the bright spots in this is that the characters are stereotypical, but the characters themselves kind of interrogate their own sort of stereotypes. Like they, they, they kind of self-reflect a little bit. So you get a little bit, get a little bit of that through the movie, um, which was interesting. And I kind of liked that. It was, you know, just a nice little change. It's, it's just not a standard slasher film. That's just like totally focused on stupid characters getting killed and you get a little bit of tits and a little bit of gore or whatever. This one, is a little slightly deeper. That being said, it's, you know, it's not a classic or anything like that, but I thought it was pretty good for being a slasher movie in 2020. It's like <coughs> gave a couple different little notes to it. And the origin of the killers is actually way different from you, what you usually get. And it's, it's set up a sequel, which I feel like doesn't need, but whatever, that's what these, movies do in this genre but yeah yeah um another one from 2020 the wolf of snow hollow um watch this it's a werewolf film uh it's robert forrester's last film uh no. he's, he's pretty good in it uh it it's now interesting. i feel sad now i feel sad yeah, yeah and it, it's a film about uh like it, it is a werewolf film in a way but it's it's a film about um, trauma and like working through trauma and shit like that because like Robert Forster's son in this film is the police chief. Robert Forster is kind of like the nominal police chief who is like should retire, but he's refusing to retire because he's a stubborn old piece of shit man. You know, like I, I'm not too old for this shit. You know, kind of thing. And this is the fact that I was still for this shit like 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Forster at this point is like, you know, the end of his life. Like in 1997, this. he was in Jackie Brown. And was yeah. like, the whole point of that movie is like, I'm kind of too old for this shit. He's really like, Danny I need, Gulliver. I need, it, to, yeah. I need to be, uh, I need to retire while I can still fuck Pam Greer. That's exactly. I, I, need, I need to retire while I can still keep it up for Pam Greer. And it's like, I mean, that's kind of the dream for everybody, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. keep fucking. I mean, I would fuck Pam Greer now. Mm-hmm. 
exactly. She's like 70 or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And she's still looking good. Um, but it, it it's really good. Like, I was a little... My initial review of this, I have to change it on Letterboxd, uh, but my initial review is I was a little conflicted by this because the tonal shifts in this are really striking. Like, it, it, it's both a serious horror movie and a horror comedy. And... You follow the central character, who is the sort of like uh, son of Robert Forrester, who is the police chief, and he has all this sort of uh, trauma, and he's working through it, and all this stress and stuff, and it follows him. It's very manic-paced when it follows him, and it kind of works. Like, it sort of works, sort of doesn't work half the time, and... I think the tonal shifts between like just super gory, serious horror and comedy, little rough the way it switches back and forth. Like I, I, I kind of wish this film would be one or the other. I, I kind of wish it would be, but uh, the supporting characters are really good. Uh, Robert Forrester. I can't think of the uh, female character's name right now, but she's a really good actress, and she's really good. And I kind of actually want to watch her be the central character in this film. Um, mm. But it's it's good. It's, 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 it's kind of a werewolf film. It's kind of not. Uh, like I won't spoil anything for anybody. I think it's kind of worth checking out just to see what goes on. Um, when you do see, like, the werewolf, it's fucking awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. And uh, the last one I'll talk about, Grand Slam from 1967. This is a heist film. Oh, and uh, Ooh. this. Oh, why? Are, why? Why aren't we doing this movie? Like uh, 1967, Grand Slam. I feel like this is an Italian film with tits and uh, cars. I think it's partially Italian, um, but uh, I, I and I might have wrote it in on our movie list. I don't remember if I if not, I will. Um, this is. Are you familiar with? Uh, if you, even if you haven't watched it, are you familiar with the uh, heist film Rafifi? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm aware of it. This is Rafifi in Rio, basically. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it's basically a remake of Rafifi. Uh, you got. Um, uh, so it's Edward, like a safe cracking movie. Mm-hmm. You got Edward G. Robinson. Uh, you got uh, what's your name from Psycho? Uh, Janet Lee. Jan- Janet Lee, who who is like <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, no, but who's the mark in this? Like they need to like seduce her to get the key to the safe or whatever to break into the thing in Rio de Janeiro. You have Klaus Kinski in this, who is really fucking good. Who is just like uh, he's hired as the military guy who is going to like run the operation and keep all the other like heist uh, dudes in line or whatever you know kind of thing, and it's like a real international thing where Edward G. Robinson is like he's this retired guy who spent most of his life in Rio de Janeiro as uh, this like teacher, and he's you know this milk toast fucking. Nice guy who everyone respects, but secretly he's been like plant plotting this for like 40 years. Like, we need to break into this fucking bank and get all this money and retire and be great. And so he's kind of a really serious piece of shit, but it's funny. Like, he, he's like, 
everyone's like he's retiring and they get to like this Catholic girls' school choir to like, you know, serenade him on his way out and all this shit. And then he goes to his like mobster friend in the US and it's like, Here here's this fucking caper I have planned and it's perfect and we can we hire these specialists and get this done and his mobster friend has all these fucking like Rolodexes of different special criminals so like you need a special sort of criminal who go through his Rolodex and find it it's actually pretty fucking funny the scene he's got this whole wall of them and he'll pull out a fucking Rolodex and like this is not like post James Bond era in which it, it like, is they really bit, yeah. were doing like, you know, the, the, the like heist movie parodies, mm-hmm. which is great. It's great. Yeah. And it's not even a parody. Like, like there are funny things to it, but it's kind of pretty serious. And the heist scene is fucking amazing. Like it, it well, is. They were, they were commenting on sort of the James Bond bullshit a little bit. Know? Yeah. 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 You know, like, but, uh, but the heist scene is fucking great and it's silent. It's just like Rafifi. Yeah, where the heist scene is like you get this extended sequence where nobody's talking, and the tension is built up so well, and you're just you're on edge the entire time watching it. Like it still fucking works to this day. It's so well done, and you know if you know Rafifi, it it ends pretty badly for pretty much everybody. Uh, yeah. But but. Um, it is a fucking treasure. And, I mean, the fact that, you know, Janet Leigh, Edward G. Robinson, and Klaus Kinski are in the same fucking film. And it's really fucking yeah, it's good. It's a Six Degrees of Seven Bacon. Uh, <clears throat> six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, if nothing else. <laughs> it's fucking great. It is fucking great. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, that sounds amazing. We should we should definitely put it on the list. Sure. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to play some, well, one podcast promo, a little bit of music, and we're going to be right back. You ungodly warlock. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You ungodly warlock.
All right, The Invisible Ray from 1936. This is the nebula in Andromeda. A ray from this nebula will be caught here and electrically transferred to the projector in my laboratory. From Andromeda? Three quarters of a million light years distant. I leave my secret with you. <laughs> it is all there. More power than man has ever possessed. Power to heal. Power to destroy. You are poisoned. Poisoned? And everyone I touch is poisoned. They die. If your men fail to capture him at the gate, then at midnight we bolt all doors and darken the entire house. His face and hands will appear like, like phosphorus. And uh, if he touches anyone, they die. I touch his poison. They die, 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 die. I gotta say, I don't know if that's the official trailer for that film because the start and stop of the sound quality on that, when I'm listening to it now on the headphones, that sucks ass. <laughs> it also feels kind of fairly modern it feels more like yeah. 50s and 30s in terms of like trailer design so i I, I feel like i pulled like somebody's like here's my edit of the invisible ray trailer There's some 15 year old who's like saw the invisible ray and cut a trailer and yeah. like we've been duped i kind of feel like you know i appreciate that you wanted to make this trailer but also fuck you kid like that let's put that out there uh but Visible Ray from 1936. It's uh, directed by Lambert Hillier. Uh, he has 157 directing credits for for movies alone. So um, he was he he was in the middle of the pack in terms of uh, directors in the 30s. Kind of um, was because no, I, like, I don't I, I I it's a joke, but it's not it's not it's a joke. it's really not a joke because he really was. Like I, I looked at his credits and nothing jumped out other than Dracula's daughter and a Batman serial from 1943, and I think that might be the first Batman you've, serial. You've got to you got to keep in mind that like directors in this era would often like just sort of like they're they're just they're for hire, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing as like kind of modern. You spend three years making a movie, there's, and there's so it's very, very much like yeah. oh, he had 157 TV credits. You know, like it's sort mm. of how you, you know, he directed 157 television episodes. It's sort of like the way you need to think of it, it in terms of for, a director. Yeah, from what I understand, yeah. like his career ended in TV, like a lot of directors of this era kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, the, you know, job for hire kind of thing. Mm. Um, Suddenly there's a three camera shoot. Desi Arnaz is like, you know, <laughs> indicated here's where the future lies. And then they go like, fuck that shit. 
and uh, <laughs> golf and retire. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the writers for this were uh, John Colton, who has credits on Werewolf in London and Gunga Din. And then we yeah. have How- Howard Hingen and Douglas Hodges, who also kind of like, I looked at their credits and was like, well, Doug- Douglas Hodges, this is his only credit. Uh, Howard Higgin is like, I looked at his credits and they just kind of flowed through me. Like, okay, whatever. He, he did yeah. stuff. Maybe some of these he stuff worked, are. He worked for decades on things that have not stood the test of time. I, I'd be like, which, maybe, maybe which some of. Ultimately, you and I will suffer the same fate. So, like, there's no, yeah, no, no. There's no complaint there, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shitting on the guy. I'm just like, you know. Nothing jumped out, but at the same time, this is the podcast to dig in the obscure stuff. Maybe yeah. we'll come back to him. Maybe there, there's some stuff here that's worth digging into. I would it's... love to dig into some of these like really obscure figures and go like, he was the he was the key grip uh, of mm-hmm. uh, eight movies in between 1971 and 1979. Let's uh, watch them all and see what they're like. It, yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah. So, uh, cast here, Boris Karloff as Dr. Janos Rook, Bella Lugosi as Dr. Felix uh, Bennett, Francis Drake, fucking beautiful Francis Drake as Deanna Rook, um, and of course we know her from uh, <laughs> the previous episode we did, uh, Mad Love is uh, Yvonne Orlack and short career which is really unfortunate you know she she married rich and decided to retire or whatever her husband made her retire her her husband was probably a shithead and said like you you need to be fucking me as opposed to uh like being a movie star which Um, is just it just like watching this movie too like you know I, i was like okay mad love she's really good in this she's even better and i'm like god damn it she she there was an like, there was an Oscar there was an Oscar in her future. She sure. she really yeah. needed to have like a 40 50 year career. Like she was yeah, so yeah. good. Uh Frank Lawton is Ronald Drake, Violet Kimball Cooper as Mother Rook, uh Walter Kingsford as Sir Francis Stevens, uh Beulah Bondi as Lady Annabella Stevens and Frank Richter as Professor Michael Jorn, John, Michael, Michael Sean, Michael Jean, yeah, yeah, kind of. I, I kind of feel like it's kind of a Swedish thing there, maybe kind of. Yeah, it feels very Swedish. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not write down. Oh shit, I did not write down synopsis. But here's the synopsis for you. I'll, I'll just pull this out of my ass. Uh, Boris Karloff is a scientist who is out of the uh, circles of uh, the sort of modern scientists. You know, he, he's, he's, he's one of those, uh, this guy's theories are bullshit. And he's been studying uh, radiation and cosmic rays. And he's, he's, he's latched on to a discovery. So he's invited some of his peers to his uh, manor and to show them that he's, you know, not crazy. The stuff he's been working on is fucking cool. And he basically tells everybody, you know, Boris Karloff's one of the skeptics of his uh, scientific uh, acumen. And he's like, you know, hey, Boris Karloff, I have managed to look into the galaxy of Andronoma. Andromeda. Andromeda. And uh, I have seen the past 
the distant pass of the earth and i know where a meteorite has landed on earth and there is immense power and radiation in that meteor and we should go to africa and check that out and he proves this theory to his peers and then there's an expedition to africa where he encounters the meteorite and uh and does he is, a lot of racist shit all right yeah yeah there's a lot of racist shit in this film we'll get into yeah, it but we will uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, he's he's fundamentally changed by his exposure to this meteorite, and that's sort of like the uh, central uh, thing to this is like he's changed, and that's the uh, we 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 need to stop him because he becomes crazy and he does weird shit, and he if he touches people he kills them basically because he's radioactive now, and that that's kind of the story of this, um, but yeah, uh, Daniel. I assume this is your first time watching this. Yeah, first time watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what's your sort of uh, general thoughts on this? I, I really wish Karloff had um, been able to have a real career, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a like a character actor. Not to say that like he, yeah, he's great as Frank. He's for, he's great as Frankenstein's monster. He's great as yeah. you know all those things. Um, but he's so good here. Yeah, and he's kind of unrecognizable. Like if you didn't know, oh, that's Frankenstein's monster from James Whale or whatever, you know. Who like, did know at this point, right? I mean, he's credited as Karloff, right? So yeah, like, but, they, but I mean, I would imagine it's like plastered on the thing, you know, that he's that this is. You know, but he's but one it, of the it's draws. Kind it, of, it, it, yeah, but for audiences at this time, it's kind of one of those things like. They would be surprised, like they'd be like, "This is not." Yeah, what I, I mean, expected. I I started I started this off. And I I just kind of sat down and watched it, and uh, you know, um, <laughs> you know, we put this uh, we put this list together like you know a year and a half mm. ago at this point. Yeah, and uh, so like I found this movie on like a list of things, and I looked through the thing and went like, "Yeah, it looks interesting," and so I put it on the list. And so re like, watching it now, I'm kind of like you know I wasn't necessarily kind of thinking oh. This is I didn't remember, and I was like, "God, who is that guy?" And I was like, "Oh, it's Karloff." Yeah. And we go see, in a movie together, it's Frankenstein versus Dracula, but not. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it's amazing that it's not like that. It doesn't do that, right? Except yeah. that the movie isn't designed for that. Um, Karloff is amazing as an actor. Like yeah. I'm, I'm astonished. Um, the other great uh, actor in this is uh, uh, Bula Bondi as the uh, Lady Arabella Stevens. She's who, really good. Like, yeah, she's amazing. Um, and uh, I was kind of looking her up. She was only a few years older than the other women in the film, mm-hmm. but she had she kind of got cast as the older woman. So she's like four years older than everybody else, and suddenly she's like the mom or whatever. So well, I mean, um, the 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 character who is uh, Karloff's mom in this, she so she was actually only one year older than Karloff. Yeah, well, sexism. It's a yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. That's that's how it works. So, um, I do really enjoy this movie. I. I watched the first half of it mm-hmm. like three times and kind of like plowed through the rest of it, uh, you know, before recording this. But um, very well done. I really do think there's some interesting things. Like, 
my own like nerd head in mm-hmm. terms of um you know because I actually do understand science and the history of mm-hmm. science. And 1936 was a really interesting moment in the history of science. And so if you'd like, I could talk about like the way that they're using the word, the Andromeda galaxy. Please. Like putting light into like, so there's a bunch of bullshit in terms of like, there's a light ray coming from the Andromeda galaxy mm-hmm. and therefore radium X exists. And all that is just kind of bullshit, but also mm-hmm. like, um, <laughs> I mean, I there mean, was there, a very there, real, there's re, there's real science in this. Like, there, there's there really real science is. in this, right? Right, and so, um, in like the early 30s, Edwin Hubble established that. So, okay, rewind. Um, telescopes in the 19th century only had a certain amount of resolution, and mm-hmm. so there were a bunch of like fuzzy spots that people yeah. would discover. And uh, this guy named Messier, like, cataloged a whole bunch of these spots and said, like, these are just kind of, like, things that we don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a thought that, like, the Milky Way galaxy was, like, the edge of the universe, effectively, um, in the 19th century. And then telescopes got better and better and better. But then, like, you didn't really get better resolution for a long time because it mm-hmm. turns out that those spots, those Messier spots, were much, much further out than people thought they were. And mm-hmm. the Milky Way galaxy, the radius is something like 50,000 light years. And 50,000 light years is the distance that it takes light to travel for 50,000 years. That's what a light year is. Just to, just for the audience who are not like, it's... like that's what it means. So like, go back 50,000 years. And so a photon is emitted from a star mm-hmm. 50,000 years ago and it reaches that's... us now. Yeah. So that's like 10 times the entire length of like written human history. The, yeah. The, know, there, like, there's, there's a, there's a time travel conceit in this. Where, right. 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 Where so, so there's some bunk science where it's Karloff, has found a way to travel along the light to travel to, along a light beam and, and to Andromeda. Andromeda. So and then in, look back at our light. Our, 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 he's looking back at our light coming to Andromeda, basically. Right, right. It's what he's doing. And he then like you turn back onto like so. There's some bullshit like you know like. Uh, Screenwriter science kind of built mm, into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's a real, like, scientific thing kind of happening at the time, mm. right? Where in 1931, Hubble determines, based on, like, um, super uh, advanced uh, lens technology and telescopes, that, like, no, it turns out that all of these, like, super distant messier objects, or most of them, are actually not like fuzzy objects that we don't understand what they are, but they are galaxies of their own. Like they are uniquely uh, like spots of stars that are just as like big and complex as all the other things that we know. And Mm -hmm. so therefore the universe as we know, it is not a hundred thousand light years wide. It's millions of light years wide. And we've learned since then it's actually like billions, like, Mm -hmm. 60 billion light years is sort of the light horizon as we understand it. And then this gets into kind of complicated dynamics of math and all this sort of thing. And 
We can talk about Cepheid variables, and this, <laughs> all of this is far beyond the scope yeah. of this podcast um, in terms of like but, but how this you movie, actually determine uh, the length of it. But this movie is made um, in the midst of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But not only made in the midst of all that kind of astronomical science, which was feeding into the mainstream and feeding into um, you know people's understanding, but also um, it's just stuff like radiation and nuclear science. So yeah. this is prior to the first atomic bomb for instance by um nine years and um the atom was only split by enrico fermi in 1933 so we're talking about like this is this is very much like radium was a thing that was only discovered in the late 19th century in like 1898 i think um Pardon me, 1898 if i didn't say that correctly by um marie and pierre curie so yeah. And um, the idea that like radiation and like the idea of galaxies and like astronomy and all this sort of thing, this was like pretty cutting edge shit at yeah. the time that this movie was made. And so they're using this like pretty cutting edge science as a way of kind of programming this guy as like, and then he becomes crazy and he's radiating energy and all this sort of thing. But like, I find it interesting that it's made in that moment in which all of this was really, really new and scary and part of like, part of like the horror pantheon, right? Like it's not like, which is the same thing that like Frankenstein's monster was is like yeah. Frankenstein's monster is very much like, it turns out that you can send electrical signals into muscle tissue of a frog mm-hmm. and it will like jerk the same way that, um, you know, actual muscle tissue jerks. You can, kind of make it move and so if you could like program if you could put a brain into a body and make the the body move in the same way you could make living tissue move and this movie is kind of doing the same thing but in um a different era yeah it's 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 radiation like if, if if something is irradiated and you go near it or touch it it's going to poison you with the radiation. Like you're uh-huh. you're, go- you're going to get it in you, and it's so fucking well done. Like I I really love the fact that it it acknowledges that yes, okay, so there there's some bunk science behind. Like okay, so Karloff has look backwards on the light ray, and then like it, it, it's very uh, you know what it reminded me of. It reminded me of Horror Express. Where you yeah. know where the the the, the bunk signs of like we look in the alien's eyeball and and see right. like he, the past of the history or whatever you know that that that's kind of like the sort of weird pseudoscience of like the time that's like kind of works for that. Well, period. and there was this weird like pseudoscience thing of like the eye must like store every image yeah. that has been like uh, presented upon it as a way of like giving it to the brain because mm-hmm. of the, like the optics have to like, like the light wave itself has to store all those images. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. You know, like there's some um, mystical property to the light wave itself, which seems to be kind of playing into this, which uh, was pseudoscience in 1936, mm-hmm. but was not necessarily so even like 50 years earlier, you know, like, yeah. you know, the, there's but, but, an interesting but thing there, what yeah. I, I love about it is it, it, even though it does have the pseudoscience element to it, it acknowledges that, you know, to actually like go to the Andromeda galaxy 
you would have to go beyond the speed of light right. to yeah. actually get mm-hmm. there. And to get there and to look back, that that takes into account that the fact that a lot of the stars we see in the sky are not there anymore. Like the light right. we're seeing is like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years past. So if you went to the if you went to that galaxy and you looked back and saw Earth, the light coming from it would be from so many like centuries back. And so there's this, you know, other process of like somehow he can see that light and interpret the past of Earth and see where things have happened, you know, kind of thing. And that, that, you know, that that's the total bullshit science thing. Right. That's uh, that's the magic stuff in the movie. Right. But but here's the thing. This is so much like the Hammer films where the actors are so good. They sell it all like. Oh, yeah. yeah, No, no, no. Nobody treats this like bullshit. Like everybody here. Um, it's a very like Lovecraftian kind of feel to this. Yeah. I feel like even though you know, like Lovecraft is just like even at this time, like he. I th- actually I think he died this year. Um, that this movie was made, he's just an obscure writer that no one knows about, basically. Well, and and Lovecraft. I mean, just to not to not to distract mm-hmm. you, but Lovecraft um, saw like kind of the coming science and saw mm-hmm. it as like the big scary thing that he had to like revolt against. And so much of his, like we saw weird geometric shapes that don't make sense was like, it turns out non Euclidean geometry was a thing. And that was a big thing in the thirties, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so much of the, like, and then we saw like, there were like black people who were treated as human beings. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, so, like, so scary. So scary. So, so frightening. And like this movie actually like sort of like embraces those mm. same kinds of ideas and like says like you know the like the big scary thing is there's this guy who gets obsessed with it who exposes himself to this kind of radiation mm-hmm. who then um gets magic powers and like the scary thing is this person becomes too powerful by absorbing like kind of real information like uh, he becomes uh he he becomes an alien because i mean at at, like you know the 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 final confrontation between karloff and lugosi right you know lugosi basically says you know uh are are you not even human anymore basically it's like uh, like when did you lose your humanity like you know what what point did you get to where you're you're not thinking like a human being anymore like you, your desires are like th- there's this element of Lugosi has been uh, or I mean Karloff has been uh, pr- sort of possessed by the power of this meteor that he's come in contact to and there's yeah. a really um, which landed in Africa which he saw through his like uh, magic uh, I would know yeah we'll get into that uh yeah. but you know like I will I will just say before we get into the like the super racist shit in this film. Uh uh fucking Lugosi or no Karloff uh it's it's a very uh color out of space uh Lovecraft right. thing where it's like the meteor changes people, you know, 
fundamentally changes people. And well, so, there's this thing that comes from outside of mm -hmm. Earth. There's this thing that comes from outside. And if you're exposed to it, then suddenly you are changed in yourself. And so they're using this kind of idea, this like actually legitimate idea of radiation, mm -hmm. which was new in popular culture in the 30s and was all throughout like Astounding Stories, which was uh, founded in 1926. Um, would have had a ton of stories that were kind of about like kind of that kind of idea. Um, but this idea of like radiation kind of infecting people and like kind of creating like cancer and this kind of like concept of cancer is not just a, like kind of a genetic mutation, but like it's something that happens, like it changes people. It turns them into something that isn't quite themselves. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and we get this phosphorus effect with him whenever someone turns the light off and we get this idea that, uh, Lugosi creates like, you know, a sort of, uh, stop gap, stop gap, uh, sort of drug like here, here, Karloff, take this. Yeah. And it will, it will stop you from being atomic Superman because the conceit is if you go too far without being treated for this, you're eventually going to just like burn up and die. And, right. But, you know, Karloff gets deranged by the radiation, the meter, and there's like this love triangle. His Francis Drake, who is his wife, is falling in love and it's like this hot for this young dude <laughs> and, and like even in the beginning of the film it's like oh shit she wants to fuck this dude hardcore because they're like talking and she's sweaty and like <laughs> she she's so into this motherfucker and like Karloff is obsessed with his fucking galaxy telescope bullshit and, and, you know, it, it almost feels like kind of an arranged marriage kind of thing. Because yeah. Shiva says, like, oh, no, my father really dug this dude. So I just felt, like, you know, do, you know dutied to, like, marry him or whatever. Like, the, it's not a love relationship. Like, she's almost, she's not even a muse for him. Like, she's just kind of a uh, support system for him, basically, if more than anything else. Yeah, um, yeah, and Frances Drake is so good in this. Like she's so she's so good. She's so, she's, good. She's like, so fucking hot. It's funny, like she's amazing and she's super hot. I agreed, but God. she's like the third best actor in this. You know, which like, is amazing to say. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, and like, and uh, I mean, my, and my, by by third, I mean Karloff and uh, Bula Bondi is the lady, and yes. then her, and then Bella Lugosi. Who is phenomenal? Bella yeah. Lugosi is phenomenal in this movie, but he's, but he's just... like fourth on the list. <laughs> you know, like... Francis Drake. I'm gonna just be a lecherous motherfucker for a second. Opening moments, she does not wear a bra, and yeah. she is she is bouncing those titties around <laughs> in this fucking film. She, she's got this. This is this is, this is not pre code. No, and we can only wish it had been pre-code. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god, how... we would have gotten some nudity pre-code. That's yeah. the that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna like you know shit on her life decisions, but goddamn, you married that rich asshole and just like quit acting. And it's like, 
and and you know she's super hot so i want to see her again also she's just such a great actress that i like i wish you had like a 30 40 year career that yeah. i could watch and it's like I'm she, so... she would have been amazing she would have yeah. been amazing if we had seen her for you know another another 20 30 years like mm-hmm. like she could have she could have easily kind of drifted into like the tv era Mm-hmm. And done a ton of great TV appearances in the sixties yeah. and seventies. It w- it would have been great, you know. But um, we don't get that because uh, we live in the worst possible universe. <laughs> uh, I also love that this movie is like a precursor to like the fifties uh, sci-fi stuff, where it gives these uh, yeah. sort of um, plausible deniability, like tagline kind of thing with its promotional stuff, where it's like you know. Uh, well, what if, and who are we to dare question the possibility of, you know, this sort of science? It's not proven or disproven yet, so, uh, it could be true, so you should watch this. I mean, uh, who would see a lot of this, uh, you know, shit 20 years, 20 years down the road? Uh, this is exactly the same goddamn thing, right? It's just like... Um, who are you to question the science of this movie? This this is this is totally possible. Uh, there there, if you, if you would touch a radioactive meteor, you might become like Boris Karloff and poison everybody you touch and kill them instantly or whatever. You know, like I I love the audacity of this kind of shit. Like it's just like it, it's it's a big selling point for the theaters and shit. Yeah, get right. little kids into this film to watch. Well, it. let's see. It's the it's the kind of the like kind of original. Uh, 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 <clears throat> it's like the original concept of the fifties monster movie in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, like the the whole point is, oh, you become the monster, so that you can you get you know poison, you know the kids or whatever. I'm like, hey, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's very it's very. Um, it's kind of the early version of what becomes the cliche. And that's, uh, that's kind of the thing that like, I feel like it's hard for me to recommend this movie, mm-hmm. you know, like not to, to like mainstream audiences, not to necessarily the Timbadas audience, but mm-hmm. to be hard for me to kind of say like, Oh yeah, watch this because I think most people would see this and kind of go, yeah, I've seen this story before, you know, and right, right. like, there's a lot of great stuff there. People who can kind of acknowledge like how good the effects are, which we haven't really talked about, which we don't really have to talk about, but there's some great. They're of, really like, good. The, the phosphorus effects and mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, really good. Really good performances, um, but you can't sell a movie from 1936 to a 2020 audience with you know, like, hey, this movie is 84 years old and it's <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. You know? Yeah, like you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. Um, I feel like um, I feel like people would uh, look at this and kind of see like, yeah, I've seen this before, but it's it's because a lot of the stuff just got reused over and over again, mm-hmm. and um, that's something that I think our audience would appreciate. So I would recommend this to our audience. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, check it out. Although it's kind of hard to find. I don't know how did you how did you watch this? I watched this on the Internet Archive. Is it on the Internet Archive? It is, yeah. Um, great. That's, that's I found where it on Rare List. I found oh, it on Rare List. Was it on Rare List? Okay, cool. It is um, on Rare List, yeah. 
I mean, we were either we were gonna do another movie on this episode uh, that which we've was, had a trouble finding. Yeah. We 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 did find well, it, but we, but we, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to. So Lee and I are gonna have a conversation after after the uh, after the the uh, recording because it turns out that, uh, uh, we need to download some movies. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I love this so much. Fucking, uh, I, I, there's still hints of German expressionism. In this when you see, like, Oh yeah, Karl- definitely. Karloff's lab and all that shit. Like yeah, there's yeah, still yeah, that yeah. shit going on. Um, it's and, funny that, like, again, in any other year, this would have, like, very easily kind of been on my mm-hmm. honorable mention list. But, like, we've seen so much good shit. This, this, I enjoyed this thoroughly. And then just kind of went, like, yeah, I'm done. Like, you know, like, but, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even, like, approach my top 10 list. Yet. Yeah, no. Really and does. what hurts it for me is, like, <laughs> when we get that little <sighs> extended sequence in Africa where it's, like, we should talk about the racism. Where where it's just like we, we get we get that like wide eyed, scared African native expression of like some of the weird shit the white people are doing or whatever and like oh god. It, well it's and bad. Like there's a ton of like I'm here in Africa and mm. I am the like I'm European American colonizer and then the Africans show up and they're all like dirty and shirtless etc etc and like it is just like it's deeply uncomfortable like I mentioned in the uh, in the the Iron Horse which Mm -hmm. we did which was from I think uh, 1926 something like that yeah something like that and that is there's a scene in which like the Native Americans see the plow, like the mm. iron plow that the white men have made. And they just look at it as if it's like this, like, uh, you know, giant piece of technology that we can never even begin to understand. It's like a right? time machine or some shit. Right. And uh, this movie, whenever there's a black person, it's just that mm-hmm. for like the entire length. And it's bad. It's, it's deeply like, it's funny that like most of the films that we've done from this era like avoid this problem of just not having black people in them, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And so we don't really have to talk about it. Um, but like this film like actively is like, no, no, no we're colonialists. Yeah. We're doing colonialism in Africa. That's a part, that's the thing that we're doing. It's great. It's it's a it's a phenomenal thing that we're doing. It, colonialism it, it, in Africa. It, it actively uh, makes know. me hate all the protagonists in this. It, you other know, Francis Drake. If you imagine like watching a movie like movies that exist in 1861, but if you imagine a movie from 1861, which was like your hero was like, and then I bought a bunch of slaves, and then one of them was really awful, and then I whipped mm. him to death, yeah. and that was just kind of like portrayed as like, well, you were just making a prudent financial decision. Yeah, I mean, like, you just, that's yeah. kind of the feeling that you get watching this movie. Yeah. Like it's just like that's just what it is. Whereas a movie made in like 2020. That like did that would at least be commenting on that. Whereas yeah. the movie made yeah. like at the time, it's just like it's not it's not commenting on it's not no. it's not doing it, it's just it's it's, it's, it's just, it's just expected. Part of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's anyway. It's, it's fucking anyway, gross, but yeah, yeah. I mean, well, like, we've been we've been at this like uh, for for a while, so we don't have to go further. Yeah, but like um, it's deeply it's deeply racist. So yeah, kind of don't 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 
watch this, you know, but do it's, it's good. It's good. It, it, but it's it is really good, racist. but, but yeah, <laughs> just, 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 just keep in mind. There's, there's like a uh, middle part of this film. That's really uncomfortable. The, the, yeah. that's that's the thing but i mean it does pay off at the end i think it's really good but yeah uh also a dog dies which is at least yeah. at least the dog doesn't die horribly like uh, karloff touches it and it just sort of lays down so you know yeah. whatever yeah. but um yeah and karloff is uh is quite good quite he's good so yeah. fucking good like the the, the clip we played where you know uh, from Ed Wood, where he goes, he goes, fuck Karloff! He's not, he's not worthy of smelling my shit. Karloff was actually a fucking great actor, and yeah. he he actually really shows it in this. Like that's that's one of the best things about this film. Uh, he gets to actually show his range and actually do shit instead of just oh, no, being no, no, no. Frankenstein's monster. Well, and you know? Lugosi, Lugosi was antifa. Like Lugosi was like straight up like anti mm-hmm. fascist, like Union. I don't think he was quite IWW, but like very, <laughs> very nearly there. He he is he Lagosi in this is like the prototypical skeptical science dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's very much like we need to keep all this shit above the board. He's 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 do- totally dedicated to like pulling a pistol and fucking Karloff and killing him. He just wasn't fast enough to do it. Like that's that's the only thing. He he get he gets killed like cut. He kind of gets killed like a bitch in this film, but you know, <laughs> right. whatever. It, it's it's still great, and uh, I mean, equate this to you know Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in in the fifties and sixties. Right. It's the exact same relationship, and it's fucking great to watch these two work together. I, I yeah, loved no. it. I loved every fucking minute of it. Yeah, and Car- and just to see Karloff not not doing the like. You know Frankenstein's monster bit. Yeah, is, uh, pretty phenomenal. So, yeah. Uh, so a little bit of trivia here. I didn't. I didn't have any like uh, box office or uh, anything like that. I actually didn't. I didn't even write down the fucking DVD info on this. I I don't know. So I probably I apologize to people listening. Uh, it's very hard. It's hard. To, it's internet. hard. To, it's hard to find. It's hard to yeah. find. Yeah, like. I, there I, presumably was a DVD because, like, it is on rare list mm-hmm. in an MKV, so like you can download this. So presumably there was a DVD, but it's not streaming yeah. anywhere. Uh, obvious. Um, so I, I just I just say people go to rare list and get it. It's 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 yeah. worth your it's worth the download. So do it, that. It it is yeah no for sure. Yeah. So uh, the set for Dr. Rock's laboratory appeared in, as that of uh, Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon, 1936. So it was reused for the, that serial. Um, and also as uh, Countess uh, Zalaska's Castle in Dracula's Daughter from 1936. Uh, Violet Kimball Cooper, who plays the mother of Boris Kov's character, was less than a year older than Karloff. We said that, uh, and also in 1986, Francis Drake recalled that the crew played a joke on Karloff. They raised him up on a platform that was intended to lower him down into the radium pit. They raised it up high over the pit and left him there when they broke for lunch. So, so he set up on that fucking shit while they took their lunch break. Apparently. Uh, according to Drake, the actor 
was a good sport about it, which is cool. Karloff, uh, decent, decent, decent human being. Yeah, he, he had a sense of humor about himself, I guess. Uh, the scene where Karloff was lowered into the pit containing the Rainmax meter was reused in the 1939 Universal serial The Phantom Creeps, starring Bela Lugosi. Karloff essentially doubled for Lugosi in the sequence, since in The Phantom Creeps it was Lugosi who was lowered into the pit. So basically, uh, Karloff stunt doubled Lugosi. Um, in that film so three years later yeah and like we're gonna just use your footage and uh you're you're the stunt you're the stunt you're, you're the stunt person now i mean uh, I, so. I i i get the feeling like they really you know lugosi was kind of the star and they treated fucking karloff like shit like for yeah like, pretty much his run like i i really get that feeling and I, I think it's kind of... Uh, Which is amazing because they, like, credit him as, like, Karloff. Like, yeah, they, uh, they do, know, but... Just, like, Karloff, like, top top billing, sort of Karloff. But, like, he's dehumanized in that yeah. same sense. He's not Boris Karloff. He's not, like, a person that you can have a conversation with. He's, he's Karloff. He's, he's not brand, Bella Lagosi. Who okay. shows up and is scary in a movie. You know, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're we're done with this. Um, I had the thought, Daniel, um, that we should leave 1936. We're we're definitely doing that, but we should go for some sort of more modern stuff for the last yeah, yeah, bit yeah. of the year. I feel, I feel like I feel like that's a fair thing. We've uh we have some films from 36 and 37 uh which you and I have spoken about in the back channel which mm-hmm. uh, we need to source to talk about which we want to talk about. So I feel like uh yeah, let's uh let's uh break from our standard. We can do whatever you want to do for the rest of the year and then kind of come back in 2021. And get back to 1936. I think that's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I put in a little bit of a feeler tonight. Uh, possibility of something. Um, so we shouldn't announce anything right now. Or really uh, talk about anything. But um, uh, let's just put it out there that we're going to take off from 1936. And do something a little different for the last of the year. So we'll probably be doing something slightly more modern. If not like super more modern for the last few episodes of the year. And, uh, and we've got our like, best year and worst of the year. That, yeah, too. Yeah. At the end of the year. So, you know, it, it is like uh, everything between Thanksgiving and Christmas is mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, you know, you just kind of like <laughs> the numbers go down. Uh, nobody's listening. Uh, it, it is like, yeah, you, you, you get to take that time and just kind of do whatever the fuck you want to do. So, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Even even though we're doing you know every other week now or whatever, uh, still got the got the numbers. So uh, I appreciate you know the seventy eighty people who listen to us constantly. Uh, it's very yeah. very much appreciated. Uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. I also do another podcast, which is uh, about the. Uh, most terrible people in the English speaking world. Um, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called I Don't Speak German. Uh, and it's about uh, like actual Nazis. It's me 
because I spent the last four years listening to the propaganda of actual Nazis. And I know a ton about that, which we don't talk a whole lot about on this show because I do it all on the other show. So if you do want to know about like what like the worst people in the English speaking world have to say about any particular topic, just go listen to that podcast. That's where it is. So mm-hmm. uh, check it out. I don't speak German. And it's fucking brilliant. And uh, if you'd like to hear more of our stuff, go to tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our Apple Podcast, Facebook, YouTube links, and uh, also, you know, join our Facebook group. That's the best way to come in contact with us. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you think of the stuff we do. Uh, We're always receptive to that. Uh, We're very big on interaction for the people who listen to us we we want you to tell us what you think whether it's good or bad we want to engage with you guys we want recommendations for films to do i mean we we have our set path we you know we're we're sort of setting this sort of thing now of like we're starting from like the beginning of film and we're going through the decades or whatever but uh we also sort of follow our own muse a little bit you know it's yeah. like Every once in a while, we we jump tell off. Tell us a movie. And, tell us tell yeah. us a movie you want us to do. Like we'll we'll do it eventually. Yeah, it might be twenty forty before we get there, but we'll get there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're, like, we're Lee and I are gonna keep podcasting as long as podcasting is a medium. It's we're gonna. Time. I mean, even even if podcasting's become you know passe or whatever. I got a feeling we're gonna do this till we die anyway. So because yeah, because yeah, yeah. what this is about is the love of film. And I mean, if, if, if you people listening, if, if you support that ideal, if, if you love film and you want to hear us talk about film, give us suggestions for stuff to watch because yeah. that's, part of, that's part of this for us. It's, it's, it's I part mean, of Lee, and I, Lee and I are in our early 40s and we could easily go to like 65. So, yeah. like, you know, like, you know, for, for 20 people who are listening because ultimately, this podcast is just Lee and I getting together and being friends and drinking a beer mm-hmm. together. Like that's that's what this podcast is. So you know it's fine. Yeah. But you know, until then, uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, people, for listening. And we are going to be back when we're back in two weeks for whatever we do. The uh, TMB DOS uh, Facebook group. You'll find out extra early so it's entirely join. possible that lee is drunker than i am in this moment i kind of am i yeah. i i've had some high alcohol beers and a bit of whiskey before we even started this shit so i'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little out there i'm i'm feeling a little good uh but yeah no but you've go done to... this like 227 times or whatever so you know like it's 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 fine shut the fuck up I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, this isn't criticism. It's just, you know, it's fine. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, but yeah, thank you, everybody. And we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>